You're listening to an audio sermon from Hope Bible Church in Oakville, Ontario. For more information, please visit our website at hopeoakville.ca. Okay, if we could open our Bibles to Romans chapter 7, that would be such an encouragement to me. And I pray for you as well. If you don't have one, there's a Bible in front of you, almost 100% guaranteed, which you can use. In fact, if you don't have a Bible here and uh, you want one, then that one in front of you in the chair, that can be yours for sure as long as you promise to read it, all right? Uh, we'd love to do that for you, and uh, that would be our gift to you today. If you're in overflow right now, welcome. If you're watching online, welcome as well. So good to see so many of you excited for what's happening in the weeks to come. Um, I'm going to pray for us because uh, I have to. So, Father, um, right now we officially open your word together, and we are thankful for your truth, which has been changing lives for um, hundreds of years, written by you, uh, with the message of salvation pointing to your son Jesus Christ as the gift sent from you uh, as the Savior of the world. Um, I pray today by your Holy Spirit that you would teach, you would specifically bring clarity, and you would cause it to result in transformation. Father, we, um, we cannot change ourselves. We um, are needy. Uh, you are worthy. Uh, in ourselves, we don't have any wisdom. You are the one who holds perfect wisdom. Um, Lord, we are insufficient. You are awesome. And so, Father, you hear this prayer right now. You are kind and generous. Thank you for the forgiveness of our sins through your Son. Thank you for your patience and grace upon us, Lord. Our seasons where we wander away, our distraction, Lord, are just our, our sinfulness. And yet you, you welcome us back every single time. You cleanse us. You love us. I'm so thankful for the gospel, which we will hear again today. And I pray, Lord, for some, for the first time ever, uh, for those maybe walking with you for a while, this will be the gospel heard in a fresh way. And I pray in such an encouragement to them. And so help us now, Lord, I pray you will grant strength and you will continue to lead your church in these times that in many ways are desperate, but all the more reason to focus on Jesus Christ, the answer, the light, the love. I do pray you will deliver us from evil today in Jesus' name. I pray, Lord, you will shine light in darkness, and I pray that you will protect us in this time. This will truly be a sanctuary of praise and of faith and hope and deep encouragement by the Holy Spirit, as only you can. So help us, Lord. We are here for you. This church exists for you. And head of the church, take over fully as you are. We pray this together. In Jesus' name, if you agree, you can say amen. Amen. Thank you for your faith in that. And so we begin our message today in Romans 7. There's a well-known phrase. There's a well-known phrase that says that um, no one is above the law. <clears throat> no one is above the law. That's been said, actually, a lot in recent times, too, in various situations. What does it mean when someone says no one is above the law? It means this, that every individual, no matter how wealthy or powerful or influential they might be, is equally subject to the law of the land. This, of course, would include all government officials and all persons. Uh, no one is above the law. It means that all must answer to the law at the end of the day. So the rule of the law equals that no one is above the law. We are thankful for the rule of the law in our nation where every person uh, under that law uh, is held to account equally. That is a very good thing. However, however, no one is above the law may be true physically and legally, as we just heard and as was stated, but it is not true spiritually. Follow me here, okay? Now, spiritually speaking, spiritually speaking, the law of God, 
the law of God condemns every person ever born. Okay, so the law of God is held over us as human beings. And the Bible tells us, and we know from life experience every day, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. So because all have sinned, then we are under then, rightfully so, the condemnation of the law. We are guilty, and because we are guilty as sinful human beings, we deserve death against God's law, which demands righteousness and demands perfection. However, there's a group of people, spiritually speaking, that are indeed above the law. See, what do you mean by that? Well, we have learned, and we learn again today explicitly, that all those who have been saved in Jesus Christ, if you are saved in Jesus Christ by his grace, through faith in him, then the Bible tells us you have been set free from sin. And if you have been set free from sin, then you are also set free from the condemnation of the law as guilty. That's the point here of our text today. If you are in Christ then, saved in Christ, our text says today you have died to the law, which means you are released from the condemnation of the law, that's what our text says today as well, it means that you are raised from the dead with Christ. If you are raised from the dead, then you are above the law, so to speak. So all true believers, spiritually speaking, are above the law. You have been released from the law, Romans 6, 14. You are no longer under the law, but you are under grace. If you're not under the law because you're saved in Christ, then you are above the law. So that's our sermon title today. It's that, above the law. For all true believers, spiritually speaking, we are above the law. Now, did I mention spiritually speaking a couple of times there, okay? Because if you leave this place today and you go rob a bank and you're put in jail, you cannot say, Pastor Robbie said I was above the law, okay? No, that's not what I said. Spiritually speaking, the whole point is if we are in Christ, we have been set free from this aspect. We have been set free from the condemnation of the law that says we are sentenced to death. Jesus Christ has released us from that death sentence. We are now alive in him, okay? So our text today in Romans 7, not gonna lie to you, it's heavy, it's wordy. There's a lot coming down the pipe here. We're praying for God's grace and strength by his spirit. He will teach us. I'm very excited to lead you through it, but this is one of these passages. You might have to double back a few times and maybe even re-listen again as well. But as we get it, I pray the Lord will use it powerfully in our lives. Romans 7, verse one, here we go. Paul says this, continuing to build his argument in sanctification. Or do you not know, brothers and sisters, a term of, of endearment intimacy, for I'm speaking to those who know the law. By the way, the law is mentioned 14 times in chapter 7 alone. That the law is binding on a person only as long as he or she lives. By way of illustration, for a married woman is bound by the law to her husband while he lives, but if her husband dies, she is released from the law of marriage. Accordingly, she will be called an adulteress if she lives with another man while her husband is alive. But if her husband dies, she is freed from that law, and if she marries another man, she is not an adulteress. That's the illustration. Here's the application. Likewise, my brothers, sisters, you also have died to the law, 
How? Through the body of Christ. Why? So that you may belong to another. Who? To him who has been raised from the dead. Why? In order that we may bear fruit for God. For while we were living in the flesh, former life, our sinful passions aroused by the law were at work in our members to bear fruit for death. But now, in the gospel in Christ, we are released from the law, having died to that which held us captive. Notice what now? Why? So that we serve in the new way of the Spirit, not in the old way of the written code. All right, there's a lot there. We're going to begin where the Word begins, where the Holy Spirit begins. Point number one is this then, an illustration of the law, an illustration of the law. So in verse one, take a look at verse one. Paul says, I'm speaking to those who know the law. What's he referring to there? Paul knows his audience is made up of Jewish and Gentile Christians who are very familiar with the Mosaic law, with the Torah, with the commandments of God outlined in the Mosaic law. So his audience, they fully understand the weight of the law and therefore the implications of the obedience that is commanded to the law. Now, as we enter into Romans chapter seven here, let's catch up with Paul's audience as to what Paul has taught thus far in the book of Romans on the law. So take a look here for a second. Okay, so here's what Paul has taught in regarding, regarding to the law so far in Romans. So we've learned here in chapter two, Israel failed to fulfill the law because no one, no human being can fulfill the law in themselves. We learn in chapter three that the law cannot justify a person. The law cannot save us. The law reveals the fact we need to be saved but the law cannot justify us in itself. The law stirs up consciousness of sin. The law is like a mirror. When we look at the law, it's like looking in a mirror and it shows us who we really are. We are sinful. It stirs up our consciousness, makes us aware of our sinful state. The law is used to help us understand that it brings wrath. It allows us to know the righteousness, the holy demands and judgment of God is coming upon us because we cannot be perfect in and of ourselves. The law also is used to increase trespasses because the law, we're gonna see in our text today, arouses our sinful flesh within us by awareness. It actually makes us, again, sin more. It's used to cause us in ourselves to sin more. And in chapter six, we learn here so far, no one is free. No one ever is free as long as they are under the law. If you're under the law, you're under the condemnation of the law. And you and I, if that is our case, we are in very big trouble. Now, notice what Paul is teaching on the law here. Notice everything is negative. That whole summary there, everything is negative. Now, notice this also, okay? The law itself is not negative, that's very important. The law is not sin. That's the whole message next week. That's the whole passage in, in Romans next is the law itself is not sinful. Everything here is negative. The law is not negative, but here's what's happening. But the law is revealing that we're negative. The law is used to show us we are sinful, that we are wicked, that we have evil within us in and of ourselves as we sin against God every day we live. 
The law itself is not negative. The law is used to show us that we are negative. It exposes our hearts. It reveals our true nature. So what Paul is doing here, he is gathering evidence to again show us that while we're under the law, we're in big time trouble. Okay, this is a major problem because if we're under the law, we're condemned to death. Our death sentence again is eternal. If we're under the law, we are in massive trouble. So we must be saved. But in order to be saved, we must be set free from the law. We must come out from under the law somehow. We must be delivered above the law. Again, Romans 6, 14, right? You are not under the law in Christ and the gospel. You are now again under grace, okay? So that's so key, and this is where he's going. Now, again, so far, Paul's like in verse one, it's kinda, there's a lot of complicated themes there. So what he does is he provides an illustration to try to help his audience understand. Look at verse two now, okay? So he says, For a married woman is bound by the law to her husband while he lives, but if her husband dies, she is released from the law of marriage. Accordingly, she will be called an adulteress if she lives with another man while her husband is alive, but if her husband dies, she is free from that law, and if she marries another man, she is not an adulteress, okay? So very interesting here. Now remember, this illustration in verses two and three is supporting the principle in verse one, okay? And the principle in verse one where it says, Paul says, the law is binding on a person only as long as he lives, okay? So Paul's point here is a woman whose husband dies frees her from the law of marriage. In the same way, likewise, a Christian who dies to the condemnation of the law is free now to marry another solely, namely, Jesus Christ. The death of the woman's husband breaks the law, binding her to that marriage. So, for us, as long as we are married to the law, so to speak. We are bound to that law and our sentence is death. But if we die to the law, then we are free to belong to another who saves us again from this death sentence. Now, we'll continue in the theology Paul's presenting. I just wanna stop here just for a second and I wanna just take a moment as a side note. Notice how seriously God treats marriage and the covenant of marriage as law under him. The immense seriousness that the Bible regards marriage. What do we learn here? Marriage is a covenant between a man and a woman under God unto death. We are bound together under God and his word as a husband and wife. 
our world right now tosses around marriage like it's a toy, just trashing it and devaluing it and disrespecting it and destroying it. Whenever a society does that, because marriage is God's design in the foundation and the creation of the world in Genesis 1 and 2, because it's sacred and designed for the flourishing of society itself, Therefore, any society that is devaluing, disrespecting, and destroying a marriage is 100% for sure a society that is crumbling. A society that is beginning to disintegrate because it is trashing the very thing that God set in place for the health and the flourishing of society itself rooted in the very creation of the world itself. So this is very important for us to understand the seriousness of marriage. And regardless of what the world does, one of the greatest ways we fight against the lies of culture is to have strong, flourishing marriages that are faithful to one another as men and women, as husbands and wives before Christ. Side note, very important though to put down what Paul's saying here. He's assuming all his readers know this. We must know this as well, right? And the form of adultery and adulteress that is mentioned a couple of times there too, that is very, very important and very, very serious. Back to the theology of our text in terms of the law and freedom in Christ. So when the believer dies to the law, they are free now to belong to another, again, which is Jesus Christ. But listen, loved ones, there must be a death to the law. If we have not died to the law, we cannot break free then from its penalty and condemnation. So at this point, I'm anticipating lots of questions and some confusion. Fair? Fair? How are you doing so far? It's hard to tell sometimes, right? But I'm anticipating there's some confusion. There's a lot here. By the way, if you have some confusion and questions, you're in very good company, okay? The Apostle Peter, the Apostle Peter wrote in 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 8. He's like, man, Paul's writings, they're hard to understand. And all God's people said sometimes, amen, amen, okay? You're in very good company, be encouraged. Peter himself is like, man, sometimes I can't figure it out. You know, like I have to think on it, I have to pray about it. They're hard to understand. So be very, very encouraged by that, okay? So anticipating some confusion and some questions, die to the law, okay? Mary Christ, this will help a little bit. Here's a slide we've updated a tiny bit from a couple of weeks ago, okay? Here's what Paul is saying. If you want to live in this, you must die to this. You must die to the law if you're gonna live in grace. As long as you're bound and married to the law, you can't go here. It is impossible to go from here to here unless you die to the law. So what are we dying to? We're dying to the law that says you must do to be saved. That's impossible, you'll never do enough. You'll never do enough. You listen to me right now, you cannot earn salvation. You cannot earn salvation, okay? You must die to the condemnation. As long as we're under the law, condemned to death, rightly so. You have to die to this. You die to the law that beats you up, that sends you to prison and death. You die to the law that cannot save you. It just tells you you need to be saved. It cannot save you. You die to the law that imprisons you. You die to the law where there's constant attempts of atonement that never work. It's always, sing confess, sing confess. It never actually get forgiven. I die to, the, die to the law of ultimately of being defeated and in death forever. I must die to this and its sentence of death to live in this. And that's where Christ comes in. Only he can cause the law to be fulfilled again and we're saved. And then in grace now, if I die to this, then I live in this. What? I live in grace. It's already been done for me. I don't have to do anything. It's already been done. 
Jesus Christ accomplished all of it for me. I now live in forgiveness. I live in the gospel that builds me up. I live in salvation. I live in freedom. The shepherd died for the sheep. I live in victory in life. But Paul's whole point is, as long as you're bound to this, you cannot live in this. We must die to the law to be saved again and have the freedom and victory of life that is found under the grace only realized and found in the Lord Jesus Christ. So another way to put it here too, right? I die to the law that I might be married to Christ. And if I'm married to Christ, then I receive all that Christ is, freedom and life and forgiveness and grace. I want you to see this too, what Paul's hinting at. When you die to the law and it's legal form, it's all legalism, it's all death. It's 100% legalism, we'll never get out of it. But then you are not under law anymore, then there's this relationship that opens up. A relationship of joy, a relationship of life, a relationship of love, a relationship of forgiveness, a relationship of peace, a relationship of eternal life. Again, only found in one person. His name is Jesus Christ. So we go from the illustration of the law. Now number two, we see the application of having died to the law. So in verses four to six, I found four powerful applications of when we died to the law. Let's read these verses. Let's see how many you can find, if you can find all four as we read these verses. So verse four now. Likewise, my brothers and sisters... You also have died to the law through the body of Christ. Only in Christ do you die to the law. So that, here we go. So that you may belong to another, who to him who's been raised from the dead, in order that we may bear fruit for God. For while we were living in the flesh, our sinful passions, notice, aroused by the law, were at work in our members to bear fruit for death. That's not good. But now we are released from the law, having died to that which held us captive, so that we serve in the new way of the Spirit, not in the old way of the written code. Okay, so four awesome points of application of what it means if we've died to the law in Christ. Those will be on the screen for you beside me and behind me. Application number one is this. I have new life. If I've died to the law in Christ, I have new life. Verse four, right? You've died to the law through the body of Christ so that you may belong to another, to him who has been raised from the dead. Okay, so again, once you've died to the law, Bible tells us you are now free to belong to another. Died to the law, now I can marry another. Who is this another? This another is none other than Jesus Christ raised from the dead. And if Jesus Christ has been raised from the dead, listen, and you belong to him, I like your chances. In fact, your chances are perfect, okay? If you belong to Jesus Christ, he's raised from the dead, you too shall be raised from the dead and you are raised to newness of life, Romans 6, verse four. Again, ready? Died to the law, married now to Christ and wed to him forever. Here's another way to think about having died to the law. Think of it this way. I like this, this is helpful. If someone is convicted of a crime deserving of capital punishment, if someone is convicted of a crime deserving capital punishment and the death penalty, think of it then, what power does that death sentence or that law that says you are destined for death, what power does that law have over a man who's already died? 
What power does the law have of a death sentence over someone who has already died? There's nothing the law can do at that point. The person's dead. The law has no authority over that person. The law cannot cause that to happen. Once the person has died, the law and its condemnation is no longer applicable. There's no authority. There's nothing it can do. So, in the gospel, if we have died with Christ, Romans 6, 6, and if our sin has been paid in full, removing the penalty of sin given by the law, this necessarily means that every true believer in Christ is no longer subject to the penalty of death. There's nothing the law has over you now if you are alive and set free in Jesus Christ. The condemnation of death no longer has power over you because you have died with Christ, you have been raised with Christ, you are now free in Christ. So this is when Romans 8 verse 1 starts to pop in a new way. Romans 8 1, therefore there is no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. You see, because you have died with Christ, the condemnation is removed, the penalty of sin paid, you are raised to new life. There's nothing the law can do in terms of death over your life anymore. You are free. You are no longer condemned. You have died with Christ. You have died to the law. And now you belong to Jesus Christ who gives you new life. Notice here too, the massive emphasis on relationship. Our relationship in our former life, we are married to the law. All the law can do is bring a relationship of legalism. Legalism leading to death. No grace, no mercy, no love, no forgiveness. It's strictly legal as it should be, but it just condemns you to death. But now this relationship with Christ enters in. Love, grace, mercy. Again, Jesus Christ is the bridegroom. The church is the bride. You are now married again to the bridegroom and what he has, you have forever. You will be with him forever. That's what's happening within our text here and Jesus Christ gives you new life. Now, does he give you new life just to sit there? No, he gives you new life. Second application is this. I now bear new fruit. I now bear new fruit. If you look at verse four again, it says, so being raised from the dead, in order that you may bear fruit for God. What do we learn there? New fruit, new fruit, or new life, loved ones. New life always leads to new fruit. 100% of the time. If you're alive in the Lord Jesus Christ, he saved you. He saved you to bear fruit through your life. One of the great purposes of our lives and salvation is sanctification to bear fruit for God. Now, here's an important point, okay? I want to make sure we see this here. Some people will teach falsely, if I've died to the law, I forget the law altogether. There's no more commands for holiness. There's no commands for sanctification. I can do whatever I want, put my feet up and cruise right on to heaven. After all, man, I'm under grace, right? I'm totally forgiven. Paul's already dealt with that in Romans chapter six. But let's remind ourselves, because we have died to the law, that regards our justification. If I've died to the law, I'm no longer guilty. But if I've died to the law, this initiates my sanctification, which is growing more like Jesus Christ. So I've died to the law. I'm innocent of the penalty of sin. But now I am longing to fulfill the law and righteousness and holiness in Christ. Not so I earn something with God because I love Jesus Christ so much. 
I long to be obedient because Christ has loved me and now I love him back. In return, I give him my life to serve him in holiness. Not so I earn anything, not so I earn anything, but because I love him in pursuit of obedience because of the salvation that he's granted to me, right? Died to the law justification that initiates sanctification of wanting to obey because of all that I received in the Lord Jesus Christ. Here's a, a way, DJ DeHaan says it this way in a little poem, okay, just to help us understand. Though freed from the law with its stern demands, no longer ruled by its harsh commands. What's this right here? That's justification, right? It's dealing, the penalty of sin, the condemnation is removed in Christ. I've died to the law. Now sanctification, ready? I'm bound by Christ's love and I'm truly free. See, now you're bound to Christ in marriage and love and to live and act responsibly. See what happened here? Justification, I'm freed from the condemnation of the law. Now I'm bound by the love of Christ to pursue him in holiness and love and righteousness. Sanctification is here. That's what's being said, that we may bear fruit for God. Now just think of it this way too, right? Every genuine life, who's ever been saved in Christ, there's a radical 180, and you all of a sudden, I, I, was, I was pursuing sin and death, Jesus Christ saves me, I'm turned around 180, and the entire direction of my life is turned, and now I live the rest of my life bearing fruit for God. That's what salvation brings. If, if I'm truly saved, I don't just say, oh, I'm saved, and I stand here and wait till Jesus returns. This is impossible. This right here does not happen theologically. You don't, oh, I'm saved. You just stand here, kind of do whatever you want, and never move. No, no, no. You have to turn 180. You have to. Bible guarantees it, and you begin to walk. There's some stumbling. There's some ups. There's some downs. We learned all that, but you have to start walking in sanctification in Jesus Christ. Every person ever saved, this is what happens to them. I mean, let's just think of a few examples from the Bible. I mean, literally every person ever saved in Jesus, but the Apostle Paul, okay? He's murdering Christians. He's persecuting Christians, throwing them in prison. He meets Jesus on the road to Damascus. I mean, talk about a 180. Light from heaven, scales lifted from his eyes, never to be the same again. One of the most influential men who ever lived for the gospel, for the kingdom, for the church. He is going along. He is trying to kill Christians. He meets Jesus. He turns around, and he is bearing fruit in massive quantities for Jesus Christ. How about Zacchaeus? Zacchaeus, he's in a tree. He comes down. He sees Jesus. Jesus talks to him again, reveals again he's the Messiah. Jesus says, today salvation has come to this house. Zacchaeus just before that said, half of my goods I give to the poor. He was robbing everyone. He was a crook. All that stuff, tax collector. He meets Jesus. He is saved. And his entire life turns around. He's walking away to the point, half of my goods I give to the poor. And Jesus' response is, today salvation is coming to this house. Mary Magdalene, seven demons. Jesus exercises her from, again, exercises seven demons. Her life is absolutely transformed and changed. For the rest of her life, she is there in darkness and evil and demonic, again, again, possession. She is turned away, and the rest of her life is served in the fruitfulness of the Lord Jesus Christ. And she did it right to the very end. Because that's what Jesus does. He changes people and sets them on a course of fruitfulness that their life is never the same Again, now, the hundreds that are listening here today, hundreds of you, hundreds of you right now, this is, of course, is your story. 
You were following the course of the power of the prince of the air, following the world and your own sinful desires and passions, longing for sin. You met Jesus Christ. The Holy Spirit came and you were baptized in the Holy Spirit. You were changed. You were forever saved, regenerate. You turned around and now the remainder of your life is set on a course to bear fruit for God. There's some good days. There's some bad days. But again, walking up the stairs, bouncing the yo-yo, you are, you are progressing in the ways of the Lord Jesus Christ as we should. We are saved to bear fruit. Question, what kind of fruit is coming from your life right now? Examine your life and heart right now. What kind of fruit is coming from your life right now? Here's a good question. How about the last two years? Something happened the last two years? A few things going on the last two years? How about, it means two years, eh? Wow, man. Hey, um, what kind of fruit the last two years? Hey, we're living in important times, man. The Lord is sifting and refining and revealing across the church. As much as I've ever seen in my lifetime and as far as I know, history in this nation, there's never been a time like it. The Lord's sifting, revealing, and exposing. How's the fruit been in your life the last two years? There's a lot of people who've wandered away, man. There's some people, right, you're barely hanging on online, like barely hanging on, and church in Christ is just a tiny little compartment of so many others. And others have gone all, like, their, their, their love has grown cold. They are gone. Others have come in and doubled down on Jesus. A lot of people have come in during this time and been like, man, Jesus is the only, the only reason I live. What fruit is coming from your life in the last two years? This is by God's spirit. This is by his grace, but let's be so sure. The greatest purpose of our lives is not the pursuit of the world. It's not gonna be trying to figure out all the different complexities of our day. It's not about doubling down on news and whatever it is. The greatest purpose of our lives is bearing fruit for Jesus Christ in the short time while we have. God help us to do so. The application, I have new life, new fruit, and then this, I'm given new freedom. I'm given new freedom. Look at, look at verse five now. So verse five, interesting verse here. For while we were living in the flesh, formerly our sinful passions, notice aroused by the law, aroused by the law, were at work in our members to bear fruit for death. Not good. But now we are, notice, released from the law, having died to that which held us captive, that held us in prison. I added that, obviously. So again, okay, loved ones, watch this, ready? The law itself is not sinful. You have to know that. The whole message next week's on that topic. The law itself is not sinful, but it is used to arouse our sinful flesh and tendencies. Our sinful flesh is aroused by the law, which bears fruit for death, the text says. Why is that? Because human beings are so carnal. Human beings are so de depraved. I mean, just... Just, just look around. Knowledge of sin leads to more sin without the Holy Spirit. Sin, again, always wants more sin. All, it's just everywhere around us today, it's just, it's just, for all time of humanity, that's always been the case. Remember too, so the knowledge of sin arouses our sinful flesh by way of example. So the first sin in the Bible, the garden, you know, Eden, Adam and Eve, God says this, you can have everything, just don't touch this. 
You can touch everything else. Just don't touch this. And like, hmm, let's go see what this is, right? I mean, that's what, that's what the sinful flesh does. It's amazing. Satan comes up and he tempts or whatever, but it's, it's, like, it's like little Johnny, right? Little Johnny's over there and you're like, hey, Johnny, you can touch all, the, all these toys. Don't touch the electrical socket. Don't touch this over here. And the parent leaves the room and Johnny's like, and goes over there and starts to, isn't that so true though? Hey, don't, don't, don't touch this. And it arouses this curiosity and desire to do the very thing they're not supposed to. It's amazing. It's like, it's like when um, you put a sign up in the parking lot, you know, no skateboarding or rollerblading. And then like teenagers walk by and they see the sign. Maybe we should go over there and skateboard. You know what I mean? Like it says, it's amazing how the don't arouses the desire to do. Because that's what our sinful flesh does. I mean, just think about that in the day that we live right now and all the things that are around us and we see these instructions or the knowledge of sin arouses our flesh. The law is not sinful in itself, but it is used to inflame the lusts within us. But then we see verse eight, but we are released from the law now. So, The law was a terrible husband, okay? If you want to take the metaphor of marriage in the text, the law is a terrible husband. Why is the law a terrible husband? Because the law is unyielding. The law is unbending. The law is pure legalism 100% of the time. All the law does is just enforce the law and condemn us to death. Christ is the perfect husband. Christ is gracious. Christ is patient. Christ is loving. Christ is forgiving. Christ is merciful. Jesus is wonderfully awesome. You see, so under the law we're dead, but then in Christ there is everlasting life in forgiveness. So the law held us captive in our sin, text says, right? The law imprisoned us in the chains of our guilty sentence. The law comes, throws us in prison, slams the door, turns the key and says, you're sentenced to death forever as long as it's just you. You have no hope of escape on your own. You're dead. You're on death row. Death row is waiting for your execution. Jesus enters the picture and Jesus comes in, meets you in your prison cell and says, I know you deserve death and I know your sin has put you here. But Jesus says, I'm gonna die in your place. I'm going to take your sin. I'm going to bear the punishment that you deserve. And so therefore, because I'm going to do this, I open the prison door. I smash the door down. I die on your behalf. I'm raised from the dead. And now, my child, you are no longer sentenced to death. You are now free to go to live in joy and peace and love and freedom. And this is my child. And you will never, ever be guilty again under the sentence of death because my payment has been made in full and my father has been satisfied. You are forever forgiven and you will never die again. You are released. Your chains are gone. Again, the shame is no more. You are now a child of God forever and you will never die. Amen. That's the gospel. You see, that's the gospel. You are now released from the law in Jesus Christ. Again, you're, you're here right now and you're listening. There's only one person that can break down your prison door. There's no other religion, there's no other person, there's no other politics, there's, no, there's just no, no other way. The only way in which we are saved, there's only one name by which we can be saved. And that name, of course, is Jesus Christ. 
And the reason Jesus came in Luke 4, he picks up the scroll of Isaiah and he, he quotes and he says, for he has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives. And he folds the scroll, sits down and says, today this prophecy has been fulfilled in your hearing, saying he is the one, he's the Messiah to set the people free from their prison sentence again of death. Loved ones in Christ, you have a new freedom. I mean, talk about freedom. A lot of freedom these days. This is the freedom that matters the most. This is the freedom from here and all of eternity only found in Christ. So new life, new fruit, new freedom. And then this lastly, a new way. The new way. I serve now in the new way. So really interesting here, this final verse in verse six. He says here, he says, so died to that which held us captives, so that, the purpose, so that we serve in the new way of the spirit, the new way of the spirit, and not in the old way of the written code. So very interesting. So released as captives to serve now in the new way of the Holy Spirit. Now, what, is, what does that mean exactly? So here's a quote from John Stott, found very, very helpful in his commentary, and this is a summary of the last several minutes, but it reinforces where we are right now. Watch this, okay? Here's what Stott says, very helpful. He says, so why do we serve? Why do we serve them? Died to the law, why do we serve? Not because the law is our master and we have to, Now we serve because Christ is our husband and we want to. Huge difference, right? Why do we serve? Not because obedience leads to salvation. There's so many people still sitting in church. Like like, uh, the Catholic Church teaches in some form or another that obedience leads to salvation. The Catholic Church will teach in part saved by grace and works or faith and works. The sacraments lead up to your salvation. That's not in the Bible, That is not true. Our obedience cannot lead to salvation. We'll never be obedient enough. Stott's point is, we don't serve because obedience. We serve because salvation leads to obedience. You see, there's a massive difference between the two. We are saved. Everything's been done. Now we want to obey out of love. Out of love. Not to earn points with God. So why do we serve? How do we serve? How do we serve? We serve in the new way of the Spirit now. We don't serve in the flesh. We serve in the Holy Spirit. And listen, he says here, for the indwelling of the Holy Spirit is the distinguishing characteristic of the new age, age of grace, and so the new life in Christ. The single greatest characteristic or distinguishing characteristic that we are alive in Christ is we have the Holy Spirit in us, bearing fruit through us. It's the new way of Jesus Christ, as opposed to, as the text says, not in the old way of the written code. What does that mean? He's comparing the stone tablets of the law with the new life and spirit, Holy Spirit, in Jesus Christ, right? Listen, listen. Only the Holy Spirit can transform the human heart. The law written on stone tablets can do nothing except tell you you need to be saved. That's all it can do. They're stone tablets. They're written down, again, in the the legal code, and it's there in the letter, and all it can do is say you need to be saved. Jesus Christ comes and says you are saved. Jesus Christ comes and the Holy Spirit says you are, Jesus says you must be born again. You must be born again to be saved. That's the Holy Spirit regenerating you, making you go from old to new. The old has gone, 2 Corinthians 5, and the new has come, right? But God says in Isaiah, he says, behold, I'm doing a new thing. God loves new things. He just loves, loves new things. Uh, Revelation 21, new heavens, new earth. God says, behold, I am making all things 
new, new. Like, this is what God does. He takes what's old, old covenant, old way in the law, right? He doesn't destroy the law. The law is still here. But the new way and the new life, the new spirit, again, in us, in Christ. And therefore, again, we will never die. This is the beauty and the point of the gospel that Paul is presenting to us today. New life, new fruit, new freedom, and a whole new way. Listen, only by the Holy Spirit of God. So two people here today, okay? Number one, you're here today, and this is the first time in your life you've ever truly heard the gospel? Clearly, maybe. Maybe the first time you've ever been to church. Who knows? Just right now. You may not understand everything that was said today, but you understand this. You're a sinner, and Jesus Christ is your Savior. And if that's all you understand, that's all you need for the rest of your eternity because that's what, if you place your faith in Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and maybe you've been walking in the path of sinfulness and passions of the flesh and lust and evil and Jesus Christ today confronts you and says, I am Savior, you believe in me, I die for your sins. You turn around now and you begin to walk an entirely new life bearing fruit for God knowing that you are now a child of God. My question to you is what are you waiting for? What are you waiting for? Why wait another second? Give your life to Jesus Christ. Believe in him. Confess him as Lord. Be saved. Allow his love to flood your life and be spared from the darkness and the satanic opposition and all the things that go on in this world trying to lead you to the condemnation of death and the law itself would no longer have any power over you. And then the second person here today, you're a believer. Maybe as a believer, you've been distracted. You've been discouraged. Your heart has been lukewarm and grown cold to the things of the gospel. My prayer for you and me today, as believers in Christ, you would once again be amazed. You would sit and wonder. You would have joy. You would be in awe at the reality that Jesus Christ died, that you might die to the law, that you have new life, new freedom. You have a new joy, a new way, that you have again a whole new beginning that he's granted to you, and you would respond with song and praise and humility and reverence and wonder. Lord, may it be so. God help us, amen, church? Amen, let's pray. God help us. God help us. Holy Spirit, help us. There's a lot here today, but I trust that you are communicating and teaching and encouraging and transforming. Lord, we do not want this sermon and service to be knowledge only. We want it to result in transformation and love, love. I pray right now, Lord, there is a wonder at Jesus. Man, all you've done for me, all you've done for us, Lord, dead in sin, in prison, on death row, then one day Jesus appears and smashes our prison door down and says, child, you're free, you're forgiven. You will never ever die again. You will never again be subject to the condemnation of the law ever. Man, that's a good day. That's a good day. And that's today if we're alive in Jesus Christ. So Lord, may we bear fruit then for you because of this truth. Not to earn favor with you, but to show how much we love you. And may we start renewed today, singing, singing about this reality. Yes, Lord, lead us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.